Hi, and welcome to this edition of Sports Info Solutions Baseball Podcast. I'm Mark Simon. I hope you enjoyed last week's show on women in baseball analytics. Today, we span the globe on baseball talk and run through some early season numbers with Eduardo Perez of ESPN. We draw upon his eye for the game as a player, coach, winter league manager, and broadcaster to look at the season so far. How are you? What's going on, Mark? How are you, man? Good to be back with you. All right, part two. We had you on for our uh, best uh, defense uh, seeding show, which turned out quite well. All right, so defense has been a story in the early part of the baseball season. Batting averages are low. They're down in the 230s. Will this get fixed? I hope so. Again, I hope so. But um, you look at how smart the teams have been able to get defensively with the shifts. Um, I actually chuckle a little bit watching so many shifts year after year, just increase organizations. Uh, you know, you and I had this conversation, the Detroit Tigers have upped their game when it comes to their, def- uh, their defense efficiency also and being able to, uh, to, to put their um, defensive players in the right position. We're seeing a lot of teams try to combat it, hitting the ball more in the air. And I think we're sacrificing that, that batting average uh, for slugging. And when you start doing that, those numbers might come down a little bit. And let's face it, the defenders are, are just becoming more knowledgeable because of the openness that they've had now as, as uh, to being able to be positioned in better locations. So are those numbers going to go up? I wonder. Uh, I wonder if they are. I think they are not. All right, moving on to another number that's also been a story of the season, pitching-wise. The number of injured list pitchers is more than twice that of a year ago this early in the season. What's going on there? I feel like that, that one's, that one's got to be pandemic delay related, right? It has to be pandemic related. You look at 18 games into the season, all of a sudden you got 56 pitchers, 56 pitchers on the IL. Compared to last year at this time, we were just around 21, 22 uh, pitchers on the IL. And, um, and, and that's definitely pandemic related. You're stepping into an area where, where a lot of, Runner, a lot of pitchers don't know how to get ready if it's for a situation like this. Maybe just throwing on the side was not enough. Uh, you need that competitive nature. You need to have those, those uh, high-level, skilled-level players on there because you know at the end of the day, in the back of your baseball card, it's going to be there. So, uh, so it's, it's tough to replicate, but unfortunately, not only is it increased, but let's not forget, we're starting the season in right in the middle of the summer. So by starting the season in the middle of the summer, you end up getting more humidity, more injuries. Uh, the guys are now dehydrated instead of hydrating properly. Why is someone like Dylan Bundy uh, able to, to just suddenly break through like this? And, and he's someone who certainly has, has had his share of troubles in the past. Why is he able to do it, but so many guys are, are getting hurt now? You have different environments. You're in California. What, what I've seen so far is there's different humidity levels out in, uh, in that area, less travel right now also for American League West, uh, American and National League West teams uh, because they don't have to go cross country. Dylan Bundy was in Arizona. Um, you know, sometimes they had to fly change uh, if it's uh, time zones. The only time zone you have to change is when you go to Texas to play the Rangers or the Astros when you're in the in the Western division now, but most importantly, also you get a different voice and probably his training was differently, but now Mickey Callaway being his pitching coach, 
you see the numbers being a lot better for Dylan Bundy. The change of scenery plays big and with a lot of players. Uh, it can play one way or the other. In Dylan Bundy's case right now, boy, has he been effective and great news for the Angels moving forward. The other big star in uh, Southern California is putting up video game-like offensive numbers this season is Fernando Tatis Jr. He's been fantastic. Uh, is he capable of putting up uh, trout-like numbers year in and year out? Trout-like numbers. Yeah. Trout-like numbers have never been seen before. <laughs> uh, so Maybe a little too much Trout-like hype. numbers, once in a lifetime kind of player. But elite shortstop numbers consistently. Doing what uh, Fernando Tatis Jr., is doing right now is let, let's put it this way. We've had, we have probably, I would say 10 elite shortstops in the game right now. Offensively, maybe eight of the 10, uh, will he crack the 10? That's the big question. That's how deep it is. Um, a lot of people would say he's the best right now. Well, it's a small sample size this year. Let him continue to play. If he keeps doing this, this guy will be considered elite sooner than later. Wow, Eduardo Perez would not have dropped the small uh, small sample size on us seven, eight years ago. But new era for you. <laughs> for Latino baseball players, and you're certainly very active in promoting them, um, what would you say is the state of the, the Latino baseball player uh, in today's game? Oh, my gosh. I think it's thriving right now. Uh, you look at the, uh, the Latino players, over 30, over 32.5% of the players are Latino at the major league level. In a regular minor league season, you're looking at over 50% of minor leaguers are, are Latinos. I mean, the, the numbers are, are, are very well represented. You look at the, the Chicago White Sox as an example. I mean, the first four hitters, first time in the history of the game, where you have the first four hitters in a lineup, Luis Robert, Moncada, uh, Abreu, Grandal, are Cuban-born. Then the next four are, were Dominicans. I mean, that just tells you right there uh, the diversity that that's just one team. And you can continue to go uh, um, team by team. There's all, there has been representation. I think, you know, there's so much money invested if it's in the Dominican academies. Puerto Rico is well represented right now also with rising stars. And the Cuban player continues to excel at the major league level. So, so the, the, definitely the representation is there. I'm a little concerned a little bit with the Venezuelan representation. Obviously it has to do with the politics over there in Venezuela to be able to uh, develop younger players. But hopefully um, those players will be able to still be seen by major league organizations and thrive under this atmosphere. Is there a part of Latin America that may uh, kind of be on the rise as far as baseball goes? I think Colombia. Colombia is, 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 is uh, right now we're seeing... Uh, late bloomers like uh, Donovan Solano, who's already in his 30s, Giovanni Urshela, who came in the scene last year, finally came into his own. I think, uh, you know, before it was just Renteria and the Cabrera brothers. Now we're seeing more representation from pitching on that on their side. We're seeing more representation from position players. More is being invested and looked into by Major League Baseball into the development of players in Colombia. They're usually from the northern side of the country. Cartagena, uh, it, it, that's an area where it's where it plays real big, and and I think that's that's the fun part that there are areas that still can be and will be uh, developed uh, moving forward. 
You mentioned Donovan Solano before. Uh, Charlie Blackman, too, off to this crazy start, uh, <laughs> chasing 500. Does anyone have a shot at 400 in, uh, in the 60-game season? I think Charlie Blackman does. I think Charlie, and, and, don't, and don't count out Daniel Murphy because now he's, he's healthy. He's hitting around 356 clip, if I'm not mistaken. And, and he's, doing, he's doing really well offensively. And if you take your eye out of, uh, off, a, off a guy that started the season 0 for 9 and we were wondering and panicking, oh, my gosh, talk about small sample size. Went 0 for 9 to start the season, and now he's hitting 500. Anything can happen. One, warm weather. You don't have to deal with cold weather in Colorado at the beginning of the season anymore. So they can get out the gates. Plus, he's hitting behind Trevor Story, and he's hitting in front of Nolan Arenado. That's Charlie Blackman. He's going to get pitched to. If not, you're going to have to deal with Arenado. The other day, if I'm not mistaken, Charlie Blackman won four for five. No, Arenado won four for four. This is a deep team. And, oh, by the way, Trevor Story, one of the top three shortstops in the league. Are you going to argue that with me? <laughs> I'm not, but I remember sitting. So when we worked at ESPN, when I worked at ESPN, Charlie Blackman sat with us for game one of the World Series in 2017. Yeah. And I remember looking at him and saying, this guy's a baseball player? What were your, impre- you what are your impressions of him? Oh, I, I liked him. I liked the conversations that he had. I, I loved the humbleness of uh, he went. I remember there and he sat with his agent the entire time. And, and um, he did if it was the, the quote unquote car wash that was done at ESPN. And, and he was he was into it. He was really into it. He was intrigued in how it worked behind the scenes. And, and I love when you have guys that were asking questions. And, and I think the reason you said that was because he was so humble. Of, and and it, he's, not, he's not a big guy either. But yet, he is really hitting the ball well up in the zone. And that's a pitch that a lot of hitters miss. But he, uh, even yesterday, he had, a, he had a double. Top part of the zone, he was able to drive in Trevor Story from first base. And that was a fastball up where pitchers are now being taught, give me competitive pitches even outside the zone up, and he's been able to stay on top of it and drive it well. So with that in mind, the Rockies, the Tigers, the Marlins, these teams off to good starts. Which one, which one, whether I mentioned them or didn't mention them, has the most staying power? The Rockies. The Rockies, and the reason I say this is because last year we saw two versions of the Rockies. We saw a Rocky team that really struggled for 60 games mid-part of the season, but we also saw a Rocky team that played well for 60 games at one point. And when you have the offensive story, Arenado, Blackman, the way he's doing, Murphy, you have the designated hitter coming into play, allowing Murphy to stay on that field and not having his defense hurt you at all. I think this plays well. Uh, Tapia is another young player that I really like a lot. Defensively does a lot for you in that ballpark. So that play, I haven't even touched the pitching yet. Again, and, and the resurgence of Kyle Freeland to the guy that he was two years ago, and not the guy that he was last year, plays well, extends it, and let's face it, the big question mark is, will the Colorado Rockies have enough pitching on the back end with, all, with the injuries to their closer and the trades that they made, uh, getting rid of Shaw, uh, getting rid of McGee, they still have enough. They believe they do. Bud Black is a great evaluator, a very good motivator and leader. So I think they, 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 have a, they have a very good opportunity of shocking a lot of teams out West. Wouldn't it be cool if someone like if Daniel Bard was the guy that made a, a huge difference? How about that, huh? 
craziness. You're right. He talked about Daniel Murphy and bad defense, and the Mets are certainly familiar with Daniel Murphy, and they're familiar with bad defense. Why aren't the Mets any better than they are right now? Oh, I see. I see where you're going with this. I, that, this is this is not. This is like a more personal question or anything. That, <laughs> that Mark, that Mark wants Go to ahead. Me. Go uh, ahead. Come on. Evaluate. Look, look I, I think. I think at the beginning. I think at the beginning, you, you you're missing what they wanted from if it's their pitching. So there is no more Stroman this year. There's no more Syndergaard this year. Those were the kids. Max has yet been able to pitch well on the road in his career. Just seems that way. You can't just depend on one guy, on Superman, Jake DeGrom, to come in and be able to do the job. Uh, Pitching-wise, at the beginning, when you look at the bullpen, they struggled early. It looks like Edwin Diaz has found his bearings. Lugo's still going to be Lugo. The chances of velocity is not what it once was. His slider break is not what it once was. And Familia, they need him in a big way, maybe to even shut it down if it's in the seventh, sixth and seventh inning, and try to go through the uh, through the – High difficulty part, the leverage, the high leverage part of the lineups. You mentioned uh, pitching, and uh, the Indians have gotten uh, some pitching this year, particularly from one Shane Bieber, uh, who basically looks like Dwight Good in 1985, the way he started this season. Your thoughts on him and your thoughts on, uh, well, uh, admittedly now, at least briefly, a depleted Indians rotation. Yeah, a very depleted Indians rotation without Clevenger right now, please act with their situation. But um, this is a team right now, the Cleveland Indians, that what they have to do is hit. They have to hit and take now the pressure off the pitching. The pitching has carried them at the beginning of the season. Bieber has been fantastic. Uh, but offensively, they've struggled mightily. Oscar Mercado has not done much. You look at Francisco Lindor, he has not been the same Francisco Lindor that we're accustomed to seeing in the first uh, two and a half weeks of the season. Uh, their outfield, they haven't got any production pretty much out of any part of their outfield. That's struggled in a big way. And, and you look, where have you seen, and I know you would appreciate this, a hitter that's hitting below 200, yet his on-base percentage is around <laughs> 450. And that's Mr. Santana. And, and you love numbers. I wonder if we've ever seen that before. Um, <laughs> I wonder if he's been aggressive inside the zone when the pitch is called to strike instead of looking just for the base on balls. Uh, so, but, but definitely the pitching is going to be the struggle here for them. Will Bieber and Cookie Carrasco be able to bail them out on, on the pitching standpoint? But without Clevenger and without Plezak, how about the after effects of what that's going to mean to that organization? Um, I think it's going to skew the numbers. And hopefully for, for other teams, not in a good way, but hopefully for the Cleveland Indians in a great way. You mentioned uh, after effects. The Astros are a team that's suffering some after effects. Uh, they've been uh, kind of uh, mediocre this year, whether you call it statistics, bad karma, whatever, whatever you're going to call it. Uh, what's your diagnosis of Houston? Whew, um, just, saw, just saw Jose Altuve the other day swinging the pitches way out of the zone. Um, I'll, I'll put it this way. I, I, I know that he's always been a free swinger, but – and he always hits competitive pitches that are out of the zone, but he's swinging at pitches that are not even close to, to, to being a strike. Fastballs up and away. He is guessing up there. He's, put, he's, he's pressing in a big way. Uh, Pitching-wise, they're young. They're young when it comes to the bullpen. No Garrett Cole, no Justin Verlander. Are you going to be able to be deep enough with the uncertainties? This is not what Dusty Baker signed in for. He did not know that this was going to be a team that he was going to have. Now, I will tell you this. 
Defensively on the left side of the infield, Correa, Bregman, they're solid. They're not going to make their pitchers throw extra pitches. If you can keep the ball on the ground, they will make their play. Same as Altuve and Gurriel on the right side of the infield. But yet, they're missing Springer. He's their catalyst at the top of the order. Um, he's had the started take batting practice. We'll see when he'll be able to continue, uh, to be himself again once he gets into that lineup on a consistent basis. Yeah, you pinch ran on Tuesday uh, in their loss to the Giants, another uh, weird game that they've played. Two more questions before we move to something fun. Uh, what's the most important thing to watch in the next two weeks? Most important thing to watch in the next two weeks, I would say the sustainability power of the surprising teams, of the Detroit Tigers, of the, of the Marlins, who are doing it right now, already have lost three in a row, uh, of the Baltimore Orioles, who are eight and seven, um, who are doing it right now with, with uh, names that not a lot of people know. Who's, who's going to stick around in two weeks? Which one of those three teams uh, are going to be able to stick around? And will the New York Yankees be able to, to continue to do what they do but stay healthy? I just feel that they've been a team last year that um, Aaron Boone had to do his magic of motivating and be able to allow his team to play, but with a lot of injuries. Um, will they be able to stay healthy already with an injury to Giancarlo Stanton out before? Last question before we move into something fun that I wanted to do. Uh, the biggest takeaway you got, we mentioned spanning the globe. Let's span the globe all, all the way over to South Korea. Biggest takeaway from watching baseball, uh, South, the KBO? The ability to make contact. The ability for those players to put the ball in play, to control the bat in the zone, quiet, had never, they never moved uh, the same type of batting style for most of them. Um, but I just like the fact that if you're looking for a strikeout, most likely you're not going to get it. Um, <laughs> that was one of my biggest takeaways. And obviously the velocity is not the same as major league level, but they had the ability to hit the ball the other way and um, keep the line moving because it's not the same power that we see. It's not the bat flips, only the bat flips. It's a, it's a little bit more than that. Mel Rojas Jr., previous guest on our, our podcast, has been uh, phenomenal. He, put, he could win the Triple Crown there. He's been very impressive. Yeah, he's been phenomenal. All right, let's move on to something that I, I want to close the show with that's a little silly. So the last time you were on, uh, we had a little conversation with you and Tyler Kepner after the show. We won't get into what was said, but Justin, our producer, and I were talking about how it seemed like you could tell a story about anything. So I picked three random words, topics that I felt like you could have a good baseball story in. And I wanted to see whether or not you could Ooh. hold up your end of the bargain on that. So uh, my first, glasses off for this. the first one was I wanted to pick a color. So I said, tell us a baseball story about the color blue. Favorite baseball story with the color blue has to be probably a Dodger Stadium. For some reason, I loved hitting there. I love hitting in places where they have a lot of history. And there was one time, and I had to go back to it, and I, and I tell the story all the time, where Shanho Park was actually pitching to me. I was fouling fastball after fastball back, getting frustrated. He was climbing the ladder little by little, going fastball, fastball. In the meantime, I'm not listening to the game because I'm hitting. And Vince Scully is broadcasting the game. And obviously... The voice is legendary. I'm a big fan of, of legendary broadcasters. And I was able to hit a home run to left center field. 
And after the game, the next day, Vince Scully comes up to me and tells me, it was a great at-bat, but it was a better call. And for me, I said, I said, why? And he goes, well, I was up there, and I usually do the games by myself, but Tommy Lasorda was up there with me. And he even said on the air, he better throw him some other pitch besides the fastball, because if not, this ball will be hit hard. And lo and behold, Vince Scully makes the call on the home run call. And to this day, I had that call here at home. Um, and it is, it, is, um, it is one call that I will always remember. So with the color blue, I go, <laughs> I hit a home run, and they did not bleed blue. <laughs> All right, second one. I have a feeling where you could go with this, uh, but I just thought that it was it was a, certainly an inviting topic from a baseball perspective. Tell us a baseball story involving large amounts of food. <laughs> I could go Tommy Lasorda, but I won't. Okay, so large amounts of food, just to let you know. And this is a tradition that I have. I always believed, and this is before all the dietary restrictions that are being able to allow me to put if you, my rule of thumb as a great teammate, as a good teammate is, if you're going to bring in food from the outside and you're going to eat it in the clubhouse, then you better bring food for at least five other teammates of yours. Rule number one, every time I love cooking, so I would make a dish, if it would be oxtails, if it would be a big old pork with rice and beans, whatever it may be, but I would bring it into the clubhouse the entire time while I played, if I cooked, and I wanted to take it to the clubhouse, I would bring in food, again, not just for five, but maybe for 10 or 15 players. But the best story of all is Vladimir Guerrero and his mother. She would feed all of us. I'm talking about not just one or two players. She would feed, like, the entire team with boatloads of food, visiting team and the home team. And Vladdy would always bring the food in in and he would cater it pretty much. Sometimes he would bring it in himself and say, my mom made this for you. And that to me was special. Um, obviously, we see Vladdy Jr. He's had a lot of his, uh, he's had a lot of, uh, of his grandma's cooking, maybe a little too much, but it's great. And um, that just uh, really taught me how to be able to give. And um, food is always a special part of my, of my um, playing and experiences in clubhouses. All right, last one. Uh, I wanted to go in the direction of animals. Um, do you have a good baseball story involving a cat, dog, or bird? Of course I do. <laughs> now, keep in mind, people can't see what you're about to show us. Okay. I'm holding my dog, as a matter of fact. But I'll tell you, I'll tell you this story with the dog. Man's best friend. My dad's nickname, Doggy. All right? And... And um, there was three big reasons. One, because he was a great teammate, so man's best friend. Two, he used to let it eat just like a dog. And three, he used to, he used to eat some steaks, uh, and they had a bone in it. He would leave that bone, I mean, completely clean. But most importantly was because of the great teammate that he was, letting it eat as far as swinging the bat with runners in scoring position. So my dog story, besides, and, and if you thought I was going to go Shotzi on you, I could go Shotzi on you in Cincinnati <laughs> with Mark Schott and her San Bernard as I, I better I better tell this story too. You you might like it. 
I remember Reggie Sanders was in right field. I was playing first base for the Cincinnati Reds. And before the game started, sometimes Marge would let Shotzi run around Riverfront Stadium, Synergy Field at the time. And Shotzi did the number two between first base and right field. <laughs> and the ground screw had to pick up the number two. And it then, all of a sudden, in the first inning, there was a ball that was hit behind me in the air. Brett Boone was at second base. Sanders in right field. And none of us wanted to dive or hit the ground knowing where Shotzi had gone number two. It ended up being a double. I forgot who the hitter was. But because of the turf, the ball bounced straight up. And it ended up being a double on that play. But, but um, that's my Shotzi story. That's my dog story when it comes to Major League Baseball. Believe it or not, this is the second straight week that we have had a story about poop told on the air. So, uh, Eddie, uh, thank you. Eduardo Perez, uh, spinning the globe, an eye for the game. Thanks for joining us. Uh, we, we will be uh, paying attention to what you have to say on XM Radio and on ESPN this year. Thanks, Mark. One number that I think is meaningful this early in the season is that the Dodgers already rank first in defensive run save. In keeping with the spirit of our conversation with Eduardo Perez, I want to point out that their top-performing defensive player has been second baseman Kike Hernandez. Hernandez, a native of Puerto Rico, entered Wednesday with six runs saved, tied for the major league lead with J.P. Crawford and just ahead of teammate Mookie Betts. Hernandez is another in the Dodgers' line of highly versatile players. He can play any outfield spot or any infield spot. He makes the routine play, the good play, and occasionally the great play. He's good going in either direction. He ranked second among second basemen in runs saved last season, even though he only played the position half the year. He's everything you would want in the field. As a defensive player, he's second to none. This wraps up this edition of the Sports Info Solutions Baseball Podcast. For Eduardo Perez and our producer Justin Stein, I'm Mark Simon. Thank you for tuning in. Thank you for tuning in to the SIS Baseball Podcast. If you like the show, please rate and review us on iTunes. If you have any questions, email the show at mark at sportsinfosolutions.com or tweet us at sportsinfo underscore SIS. 